So <clears throat> the topic I want to speak on is easy to say, but not so easy sometimes to implement, and that's the topic of forgiveness. <clears throat> it's, um, it's just come to my mind how important that is. It's, it's absolutely essential in the Christian life for the Christian to be walking in forgiveness. It's something that <clears throat> we wouldn't be here today. There would be no such thing as Christians if it wasn't for forgiveness. God, that song we sang this morning, and can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? Died he for me who caused his pain? For me, death pursued? Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? See, the basis, the basis of our forgiveness is that we've been forgiven. We've been forgiven such a great debt. You see the scripture in uh, Hebrews, the writer to the Hebrews is quoting Jeremiah. <clears throat> and he says this in Hebrews 8, For I will be merciful to their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. It's an amazing statement. The holy God saying, I, I'm going to be merciful to these people, and I'm not going to remember their sins. I'm not going to hold these sins against them. I'm not going to hold it to their account. And we can see why that was that was done, and with this ver in this book we're in this small group studying Ephesians. Uh, this last time that we were looking at predestination, but the, this whole section here, um, from verses three to seven, he's talking. In verse seven, he says, "In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses." So he's saying the same thing. The forgiveness of our trespasses, how can that be? Well, through the redemption of his blood. That's how it can be. <clears throat> the psalmist, here's what David's prayer in Psalm 86 is this. For you, Lord, are good and ready to forgive and abundant in loving kindness to all who call upon you. See, that's the character of God. He's ready to forgive, ever willing to forgive those who would call upon him. And abundant in loving kindness, pours forth love. That's the way God is. <clears throat> We've experienced that if we're Christians. Every Sunday that we have a meal here, it seems like just about every Sunday, we have a communion time. And what are we doing in that communion time? We're remembering this death of our Lord. And this is what the Lord said. Um, he said, And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for forgiveness of sins. So every week that we do this, we're bringing to remembrance 
this great forgiveness that we've experienced as Christians and that is available to you if you're not a Christian. This forgiveness of sins. It's a wonderful thing. Wonderful thing. And so, Christians have experienced the compassion and the mercy and the love and the forgiveness of God. And because of that, we are expected to walk and be forgiving types of people. That's what we're, that's what we're to be. We're to be like that. That's the expectation. <clears throat> and this comes up so much in the Scripture. It's just overwhelming how much it comes up. When you look in the Scripture, how much the topic of forgiving one another comes up. It's just filled. The Scripture's filled with it. <clears throat> And the interesting thing for me was to see how many times the word compassion and mercy are associated with the word forgiveness. Even if it's not there, it's implied in it, in the verse. You know, Charles spoke a couple weeks ago, I know it was at least a couple weeks ago, um, out of Matthew 6. And when he was talking uh, about the Lord, what we, what is called the Lord's Prayer there in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew 6, it says, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. The assumption is that we're going to forgive our debtors. That's just the assumption in that prayer. Forgive us our debts, Lord, because I'm going to forgive this person. Later on, he says, for if you forgive others for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. It's very clear. The Lord's very strong on this. In Luke 6, this is what the Lord says, is, uh, that we are to forgive and show mercy to others because that's the way our Heavenly Father is. That's the way He is. <clears throat> we just saw that in Psalm 86. This is what He says in Luke 6. But love your enemies. Do good and land. Expect nothing in return. And your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High. For He Himself is kind to ungrateful and evil men. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. So this is the way God is. <clears throat> he's compassionate. He's merciful. He's forgiving. And we're to bear, the Christian is to bear that Father's resemblance. To have that family resemblance. That ought to be a characteristic of a Christian is to be a loving and forgiving person. I want to, um, <clears throat> there's a um, section that we hear of frequently, and I'm going to have you turn to this. <clears throat> it's in Ephesians. And the verse that we hear of, we hear often, is be kind to one another, tender hearted. 
forgiving each other just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. This is said at the end of an exhortation that Paul is giving to not be like the Gentiles. Not to be like you used to be. There's a, there's a difference in the way you are now if you're a Christian. So let's just pick it up in, in verse 17 here. And I'm going to read through at least some of this. Uh, chapter 4 of Ephesians. Sorry. Um, and we're going to start on verse 17. This I say, therefore, and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. I want you to just think about that a minute. The hardness of their heart. Because you see, when you're not forgiving... That's what's happening in your heart. The hardness of your heart. And they have become callous, not sensitive, callous, having given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. But you did not learn Christ in this way. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor, For we are members of one another. Be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down in your anger. Do not give the devil an opportunity. Let him who steals, steal no longer. But rather let him labor, performing with his own hands what is good, in order that he may have something to share with him who has need. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification, according to the need of the moment, that it may give grace to those who hear and do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with malice. And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. So, we are to forgive because that's the way Christ is. We're to be kind and tender-hearted. Kind and tender-hearted. And when we are not forgiving... I would say that what we are doing is what verse 27 says to not do. Do not give the devil an opportunity. 
And when you are unforgiving, you're not forgiving somebody. What you're doing is you're opening the door for the devil to come in and have an opportunity in your life in some area. When we allow unwholesome words to come forth from our mouth because of bitterness and resentment, we're acting like the lost and we're giving devil an opportunity. And if you're not forgiving somebody from the heart, what's going to happen is unwholesome words are going to begin to proceed out of your mouth. It happens. It does. Not allowing resentment, bitterness, anger to well up inside of you so that it affects you and it affects those around you. You see that when he says be kind and tender-hearted, forgiving one another. If you think of kind, when you think of 1 Corinthians 13, what's the first thing it says that love is? Love is patient, love is kind. Kindness is tied in with with acting lovingly, being loving. Tenderness, tender-heartedness towards other people. It's love. And as Charles has been saying in Romans 12, what's the duty of the Christian? Can be summed up in what? Love. We're to love one another. And associated with that is forgiving. And that's what Paul's bringing up here. Be kind, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as Christ has forgiven you. That's the character, you see, of the Lord, and that's the character of his, of his people. They're loving, forgiving people. And when we have that unforgiveness creep in, something's out of disconnect there. It doesn't fit. And so we need to look today at, at this topic of forgiveness. I want to do this in primarily two sections of the Scripture. One is where the Lord has been invited to a Pharisee's house in Luke 7. That's the first one we're going to look at. The other is where Peter comes to the Lord and asks him, how many times do I have to forgive this, these people who are offending me? And so it's the Lord gives a parable about forgiveness in Matthew 18. So first of all, let's turn then to Luke 7. And it's, I'm going to read the whole portion. It's, um, it's a section <clears throat> starting on 36. There's about 15 verses to the end of the chapter, but I think, you know, I was thinking about this. There's a lot of reading of the scripture, but it's a lot better for you to hear me read the scripture than for me to elaborate on some things. So let the scripture speak to you. Because these are very, very plain in the scripture. The scripture is explicit and clear on this issue of forgiveness. So let the scripture speak to your heart. Now, one of the Pharisees was requesting him to dine with him. And he entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. And behold, there was a woman in the city who was a sinner. And when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, 
she brought an alabaster vial of perfume. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and kept kept wiping them with the hair of her head and kissing his feet and anointing them with perfume. Now when the Pharisee who had and invited him, saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who and what sort of person this woman is who is touching him, that she is a sinner. And Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he replied, say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they were unable to repay, he graciously forgave them both. Which of them, therefore, will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, You have judged correctly. And turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house, and you gave me no water for my feet. But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she, since the time I came in, has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with perfume. For this reason, I say to you, her sins which are many, have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, Your sins have been forgiven. And those who were reclining at table with him began to say to themselves, Who is this man who even forgives sin? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. What I would like to focus primarily on is the verse 47, but I want to go through this section and bring out some things. In this parable, or in this account, it's not a parable, in this account, Christ is making a statement about the relationship between our love for him and our view of how much we've been forgiven. There is a connection when you realize how much you've been forgiven. There's great love. When you don't think you've been forgiven very much, there's little love. And that's what the the Pharisee indicated there. And that was the point of the story. Another point I think you could make in this story is that This parable, there's two debtors. There's two debtors. We're all debtors. We're all debtors. We're debtors to the Lord for our sin. We're in great debt. The difference is that some don't perceive that as a big deal, and some perceive it as a very big deal. And those that perceive it as a very big deal love much. They love much. 
Look at this, the, this woman for a minute. Two characteristics, at least, of this woman. One is we see her deep, deep humiliation for her sin and her gratitude to the Lord. She's just wiping, she's crying so much. It's not a drop coming down. You don't wash somebody's feet with a drop falling from your eye. It was profuse crying over her sin and for, and for her Lord. And she's weeping so much, she's able to wash his feet with her tears and wipe his feet dry with her hair. That doesn't happen unless there's some deep, something deep working in the person's heart. <clears throat> and you see, secondly, her deep affection for the Lord. <clears throat> She's kissing his feet, just kissing his feet and pouring this perfume on his feet out of devotion to him and love for him. Verse 39 tells us a little bit about the Pharisee. He had invited him and saw that. In, uh, now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who and what sort of person this woman is who is touching him, that she is a sinner. <clears throat> So he doesn't perceive the Lord as a prophet. That's one thing that comes out here. He doesn't think he's a prophet. Or he wouldn't allow him, the sinner, to be wiping his feet and touching him. Wouldn't even allow her to be touching him. <clears throat> Secondly, he views this woman with contempt. You see that? What sort of person this woman is who is touching him? <clears throat> There's another place in Luke, in chapter 18, verse 9, where this same attitude is displayed, and uh, the Lord says this, and he also told this parable, or the, Luke says this, he told this parable to some people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. Then the Lord goes on and tells this parable about the Pharisee and the tax collector who went up to the temple to pray. <clears throat> so it's the same idea. Self-righteousness views, looks at others with contempt. It just is. It's the way it is. You look down at others. They're contemptible to you because you feel you're righteous. You're more righteous than they are. It's a dangerous thing. <clears throat> and I just would submit to you <clears throat> that it's not that this Pharisee had just a few sins. He says, he who loved little or forgive, is forgiven little loves little. That's not the point that the Lord is making. He's not saying the Pharisee didn't have many sins, but rather... He, Pharisee didn't perceive himself as having many sins. He didn't perceive himself 
as having as many sins as this one did over here, this woman. And therein, therein lies the rub. They both had many sins, but one didn't perceive he had the sins. And beloved, that's one of the issues. When we get hurt or someone offends us, we run into a protective mode. We get protective of ourselves. And one of the ways we protect ourselves is we begin looking at what they did compared to what I've done. And so we begin to get a critical eye towards somebody else, and that often leads to an unforgiving spirit towards that person. Because we have failed to see, we've forgotten. This is important. We forget sometimes how much God has forgiven us. We need to be reminded that we have been forgiven many, many, many sins. Let's look at Matthew 18. You've heard this parable many times. I'm going to read 21 and 22, then I'm going to read the parable. This is the context. Peter came and said to him, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Now, the Lord isn't saying that you can keep track and at 490, you're okay to not forgive after that. It's not what he's saying. What he's saying is this is the way of life for you as a Christian. This is the way of life you forgive. Now, as we read the parable, put yourself in the parable. These parables are are illustrations, they're stories, but we need to put ourselves in it if we're going to benefit from it. So 23, Matthew 18:23. For this reason the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a certain king who wished to settle <coughs> excuse me who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. And when he had begun to settle them <coughs> there was brought to him one who owed him 10,000 talents. But since he did not have the means to repay his Lord commanded him to be sold along with his wife and children and all that he had, and repayment be made. The slave, therefore, falling down, prostrated himself before him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will repay you everything. And the Lord of that slave felt compassion and released him and forgave him the debt. But that slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. And he seized him and began to choke him, saying, Pay back what you owe. 
So his fellow slave fell down and began to entreat him, saying, Have patience with me and I will repay you. He was unwilling, however, but went and threw him in prison until he should pay back that what was owed. So when his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were deeply grieved and came and reported to their Lord all that had happened. Then summoning him, his Lord said to him, You wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you entreated me. Should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slaves, even as I had mercy on you? And his Lord moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that was owed him. So shall my heavenly Father also do to you if each one of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. I want to um, kind of go down through this uh, parable and just kind of make a couple of comments on each verse here. (coughs) You see that slave in verse 24 had no means to repay the debt. In my Bible, if you look in, and I, when I look in the margin, that uh, debt that he owed, 10,000 talents, it says here, is about $10 million in silver content, but worth much more in buying power. So the idea that he could ever repay that debt is incredible. He couldn't. That's the point. It was an impossible debt to repay. He could not pay the debt. (coughs) Verse 25, the master commands that he be punished. And so he's he's supposed to be handed over his wife, his children. He's going to be uh, imprisoned until he could repay. Well, if you're in prison, you can't pay anything. But that's what it was going to be. For the rest of his life, he was going to be in prison, as well as his family. Verse 26, he begs for mercy and patience. He begs for patience with his master. He has good intentions. I'll repay it all. He has no idea what he's saying. He just doesn't want to go to prison with his family. He has no means to repay that, but his intent is, I will, I will. And what you see then in verse 27 is the way the Lord is with us. The Lord of that slave felt compassion. I looked that word up. It's, uh, a feeling that you get from the heart. A person who's compassionate, if from the heart they're extending this feeling. They, they, are, they know the person's hurting and you're extending this compassion toward them. You're extending your hand toward them in compassion for what they're going through. And then he says, 
he released him. And that's an act of mercy. So you see the mercy in here and the compassion both. Compassionate, he felt compassion. He extended the hand of mercy and released him. And he goes beyond that. He forgives him of the debt. He didn't have to repay it. It wasn't a pardon. It was a forgiveness. It was, he's not going to have to pay it back. But, verse 28, this is what the slave does in response to the mercy, compassion, and forgiveness that was given to him. He turns around and shows no mercy to his fellow slave who owes him, well, I I did the calculations, $18. You you just been forgiven $10 million dollars and this fellow owes you 18, so you have him put in prison. It's interesting to see the, the second slave comes and says, have mercy on me, be patient with me. He says the exact same thing, and I'll repay you. But he shows no mercy toward him. You know, there's a verse in James 2.13 that says this, for judgment will be merciless, merciless. To one who has shown no mercy. It's a serious thing not to extend the hand of mercy, forgiveness to people. And then you see that verse 34, or actually it's verse. Thirty-one. When his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were deeply grieved. So here you've got these other slaves, and they're seeing what's going on here. Wait a minute, this doesn't fit. You've been forgiven so much, you're not even willing to forgive this guy that little bit? That something's not right here. This isn't right. And so they go and they tell the master, and he revokes the forgiveness on the first one and has him imprisoned. And uh, he has to, he's going to be there. And now here's the Lord's application, and he's not, um, it's pretty direct with us. <clears throat> Verse 35, So shall my heavenly Father also do to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. He says it's from the heart. It has to be a forgiveness from the heart. I was thinking about this. Mike and I were talking. We live in a time when words are really cheap. Um, people just flippantly say things. They don't, if they apologize at all for doing something wrong. Usually, what I've been seeing lately a lot, and it's just kind of a, I guess, just in the last few years. Uh, somebody does something wrong and it's my bad. That makes it okay that you acknowledge that you did something wrong. See, that doesn't that doesn't make it right. There's not there isn't any real sorrow. There isn't any real sense of that you've done anything wrong, that you've offended a person, that there isn't any repentance in it. See, it's so shallow. It's superficial. It's not from the heart. And so when you see people who are 
um, making apologies. They, you know, and then they just go on, and there isn't any sense of what they've done, the hurt that they've committed to this other person. God's not. God's not in that. That's just superficial stuff. And and similarly, I would say that the the term, oh yeah, I forgive you. Yeah, I forgive you. Have you really forgiven? If someone comes to you and asks for forgiveness, do you really forgive them from your heart? Because if it's from the heart, then you're not going to see these unwholesome words coming up in your conversation about that person. That's not going to happen if you've really forgiven them from the heart. See, we have to be careful with this. It has to be from the heart. The Lord says, or the scripture says there, for the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. So if you still have some stuff in your heart towards the person, it, it spills over. It just does. It spills over in our actions toward them. It spills over in our words about them and to them sometimes. Secondly, I would like to say that this doesn't mean when you've forgiven somebody, it doesn't necessarily mean that you immediately feel like all things are better now. Doesn't necessarily mean that. If a person has really been hurt deeply, really been hurt deeply by somebody, they still may have some feelings in there. But forgiveness is an act of the will. You're choosing, I'm going to forgive this person. I think I can demonstrate that here in an example. <clears throat> you notice what he says, we use this verse, Ephesians 4.32. I'll let me read it to you again. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. <clears throat> Be kind to one another. It doesn't necessarily, when you've forgiven somebody and there's deep hurt and pain, doesn't necessarily mean that the pain is gone. But we choose to forgive the person and our actions show that we choose to. We continue to extend the hand of kindness to them. We treat them right. We're not allowing those unwholesome words to come up. And But I will say this. I think I can say this, that it's through the act of forgiving the person that the healing process actually begins. You still may have some wounds that are pretty deep and pretty tender. But I want to tell you that if there isn't forgiveness, they fester. They just fester. And it's through the act of forgiving that the healing process can actually begin to, to you can begin to get healed of those feelings. <clears throat> Sometimes we have trouble if it's a deep hurt, a real sense of betrayal, and there's, there's hurt there. It's tough. But what we need to do is we need to agree with God and we need to agree with the Scripture God refers to this slave in Matthew 18 as a wicked slave. 
Why was he a wicked slave? Because he wasn't willing to forgive. That's the way the Lord views that unforgiveness. It's sin. We're commanded to forgive. And the Lord in this parable points out that this slave was a wicked slave. It's a wicked thing. That's That's what God's saying here. That's what Christ is saying. We need to forgive because we have been forgiven so much. And if we're finding difficulty with that, the first thing whenever we sin, what do we do? We confess our sins. And he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. So we have to confess it as sin. And we have to ask God, Lord, help me with this thing. I'm really struggling with this area of forgiving this person. I need your grace. I need your forgiveness. I need you to help me with this. Charles read this account from Corey Ten Boom. <clears throat> but I want to read it again in light of this, uh, what we're talking about here, because it's so... so much illustrates the point I'm trying to make here on on this area of forgiveness in the areas where it's really been hard. Now, Corey was betrayed by countrymen. That's why they went into prison. She was abused in the prisons just with these guards mistreating these women. And she finally gets out, and she's speaking to help raise some money for this organization. And um, she's speaking at different churches. And so this, I just want to read uh, about a page here of this. It says, I continued to speak partly because the home in Blumendahl ran on contributions, partly because of the hunger for Betsy's story seemed to increase with time. Betsy is her sister. I traveled all over Holland to other parts of Europe, to the United States. But the place where the hunger was greatest was Germany. Germany was a land in ruins, city of ashes and rubble, but more terrifying still, mines and hearts of ashes. Just across the border was to feel the great weight that hung over that land. It was at a church service in Munich that I saw him the former SS man who had stood guard at the shower room door in the processing center at Ravensbrook. He was the first of our actual jailers that I had seen since that time. And suddenly it was all there, the room full of mocking men, the heaps of clothing, Betsy's pain-blanched face, He came up to me as the church was emptying, beaming and bowing. How grateful I am for your message, Fraulein, he said, to think that, as you say, he has washed my sins away. His hand was thrust out to shake mine. And I, who had preached so often to the people in Blumendahl, the need to forgive, kept my hand at my side. Even as the anger, vengeful thoughts boiled through me, I saw the sin of them. You see, she's recognizing this isn't right. 
He mistreated me. He abused us. But these thoughts I'm having toward him, they aren't right. I saw the sin of them. Jesus Christ had died for this man. Was I going to ask for more? Lord Jesus, I prayed, forgive me. Help me to forgive him. I tried to smile. I struggled to raise my hand. I could not. I felt nothing, not the slightest spark of warmth or charity. And so again, I breathed the silent prayer. Jesus, I cannot forgive him. Give me your forgiveness. As I took his hand, the most incredible thing happened. From my shoulder, along my arm, and through my hand, a current seemed to pass from me to him, while into my heart sprang a love for this stranger that almost overwhelmed me. And so I discovered that it is not on our forgiveness any more than on our goodness that the world's healings hinge but on his. When he tells us to love our enemies, he gives, along with the command, the love itself. And I was thinking that it was... It was this act that she knew. First of all, she confesses it as sin. She prays, Lord, help me to forgive this man. I know I should. Give me your forgiveness. And then in an act of obedience, she reaches out her hand. And it's at that act of obedience that God comes and meets with her. Now, it's not always like that immediately. But like I said, I believe that's the start of the healing process where there's been great hurt, deep hurt, and it's hard to forgive. It's hard to forgive in those situations. But God is able to change the heart. See, that's the whole point. He wants forgiveness from the heart, and he's able to change the heart so that you can forgive from the heart. It's all God. It's a supernatural thing. If you've been deeply hurt, you, it takes God to, to give you the forgiveness to forgive somebody from the heart. That's a supernatural thing. But it's possible for the Christian, you see, because he's commanded it. He will give it, just like she has said. I was painting yes uh, this week over at David's. And Deanna and I were painting, and she shared a verse with me that I I thought was really helpful along these lines. And I want to just, uh, I'll read it to you. It's in 1 Peter uh, chapter 2, if you want to turn. Um, It's a wonderful verse. I hadn't seen it in the context of this forgiveness until just this week. Um, But starting at verse um, 18, the This is in context of servants being submissive to your masters. Um, But I'm going to pick it up on 20. For what credit is there when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience? But if when you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, 
leaving you an example for you to follow in his footsteps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth, and while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. And just that phrase, kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. You see, sometimes in these situations, these painful situations, and sometimes people aren't even aware that they've sinned against you, and you still have to forgive them. That's the way the Lord was. And that's what we're commanded to do. But particularly in these situations where you see, how is this going to work? I, I don't know what to You ask God to forgive, and, and you don't seem like forgiveness is coming, and you have to just say, I'm entrusting this to God because he judges righteously. I don't. I especially don't when I'm in the heat of this, this battle. My judgment isn't always right. But his is always right. And God always judges righteously. And so we can entrust our, uh, the situation into his hands and leave it there. Leave it to God. See, that's what Dick was talking about on trust. That's what it is. You're trusting God. You're not trusting this other person to respond rightly next time. You're entrusting it to God. You know, it's the same idea that Charles has been speaking about where he says don't repay evil with evil, but overcome evil with good. It's the same thing. See, it's the idea of extending your hand to this person, just like Corey did, being kind to them, being tender to them, not callous toward them, not cold toward them, but being warm, being tender, extending the hand, forgiving, and entrusting it, leaving it with God to work out the details of those things. It's a wonderful, freeing thing if we can just get a hold of it to be able to lay it with God and leave Him, leave it with Him. You know, even in the... This was going... Think of this. <clears throat> the Lord is on the cross. He's suffering. He's dying. And in the midst of that... In the midst of it happening, mockers all around, still mocking him, yelling at him, save yourself if you're the Christ. Come on down off that cross if you're the Christ. You say you're the Christ, well save us, one of the thieves says, and, and save yourself also. And here's what he says. <clears throat> Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. In the midst of, the, in the midst of it, in the midst of the persecution, in the midst of all of it. These people didn't even think they were doing anything wrong. They thought they were doing something right. And the Lord's response is, Father, forgive them. You see the exact same response with Stephen when he's being stoned in Acts 7. He says, Lord, do not hold this against them. That thing of not remembering their sins that we looked at. Not remembering their sins. Don't hold it against them, Lord. See, how can that be? Well, it's supernatural. It is. We recognize that. 
And we need God's grace in this area of forgiveness. It's one thing to say, yeah, I forgive you for dumping coffee on me. It's another thing if it's devastated your life as Corey Tambooms was devastated. But it's the same God who grants the forgiveness. And we're able, as we entrust ourselves to him, we're able to trust that he will judge righteously in these things. And he will grant forgiveness, just like he granted Corey forgiveness here. Well, let's pray. Father, we are grateful for a God to serve such as you are. Abundant in loving kindness. Willing to forgive all who would call upon you and come to you. Father, I thank you for the forgiveness of sins. Thank you for the forgiveness of my sins. Lord, don't let us get to the place where we lose sight of how much we've been forgiven. We can get caught up in how we're hurting and we lose sight of how you were hurting and what you did in our behalf and the great debt that you took care of on our behalf. We really are debtors to mercy. Father, help us to be a compassionate and merciful, loving and forgiving people that we would show to the world what you're like in the way we conduct ourselves. We confess that we need help in these areas, Lord. It's easy to talk about. It's another thing to actually forgive But we know that through your spirit, we can. So we just entrust ourselves to you this morning and ask that you would be with us and act in our behalf and help us to honor you with the way we conduct ourselves. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.